It's good to be here today. It's always good to be the church family. Uh, as I was thinking about my message this week and doing a little research and so forth, I, I came across some interesting, interesting statistics that I wanted to share with you real quick. They're from a USA Congregational Survey that was made. It's over a five-year period of time, basically about church growth. Uh, talking about church growth, it says 57% are transfers within the same denomination, 18% are returnees, that's people who've left and have come back, 18% who changed denominations. Now, transfers are good. Don't, don't take that in a negative way that I say that. Here's what I want you to hear. Only 7% of church growth is new believers. Okay? Uh, and this, and honestly, I, I've heard less than that before. This was reported several years back. Uh, there's some good things happening in our convention that I rejoice in. I rejoice that we've had over 46,000 church plants, new churches that have been started. I rejoice in that. Uh, but there are just some things that should concern us. Uh, I also read a survey done by Baylor University. This was an older survey. I couldn't find a new one back in 2008. Uh, and it listed the reasons for growing churches. And I'll be honest with you, I, I thought, well, number one is going to be preaching, you know, number two be teaching. I was surprised. Number one was churches that are inspired, or congregations, talking about local churches now, local churches that are inspired and encouraged to witness. So that is the number one, in, number, number one factor for church growth. And, and I was surprised, I really was. And, and then uh, yesterday, I was reading an article on the Gospel Coalition. I, I really wasn't looking for anything. Uh, and as I was reading that article, it was talking about evangelism in local conservative churches. And it said, one of four conservative pastors do not believe it is their responsibility to share Jesus publicly outside. One of four conservative pastors. Isn't that shock? I mean, that shocks me because, you know, I've always been around people like you and uh, people like Pastor Jason and, and have such a heart for sharing Christ and then to read something like that. And I understand why 7%. But then uh, about a month ago, uh, David Arney was sharing with a Sunday school class over on the other campus. He had been to a conference somewhere and they were talking about church growth and missions and so forth. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how they get these numbers, okay? But they said only 2% of people who profess to know Jesus share Jesus with other people. Two percent. That would mean probably three or four of you in this group would actually share Jesus outside this building. And that, that is a shocker to me. So anyway, I, I'm in the book of Acts today. If you'd like, turn to Acts chapter 5 with me because it, it is a record of an exciting and kind of, you could say, dangerous time in the life of the church. And we're going to look at chapter 5 and see what's going on in the life of these people at this time. Uh, and I, I just want to say right off the bat, uh, guilt is not something I try to use to motivate people with. So this is not a message to make you feel guilty. Now, if the Spirit of God makes you feel convicted, that's okay. But I'm, I'm not here to try to make you feel guilty. Really what my hope for today is, as we look at this text, is that we will see how God has worked in His people before and we will be encouraged and we will trust him 
to work in his people like that now. And, and I'm not talking about the miracles and raising the dead. I'm just talking about what this text shows us today. So what is going on to bring us up to, to where we're at here in this chapter 5? The high priests and the Sadducees, they were jealous of what was taking place in, in the local body of believers. People were being saved by the multitude. They were trusting Jesus. Uh, the, the church was progressing. So that night, uh, they had arrested the apostles and they put them in prison. Peter had been arrested in chapter 4. Now they arrest the apostles, put them in prison because they had been teaching about Jesus Christ. Well, that night, an angel of the Lord comes to them, opens the door, tells them, now go to the temple and proclaim all the words of this life. Okay? So that's what they were in prison for. So the next morning, the council tells the guards, go get the apostles and bring them before us. Well, they went to get them, and guess what? They weren't there. They were in the temple talking about Jesus, just what they'd been told not to do. So that brings up, up to our text here in verse 27. And verse 27 says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. And now let's skip a few verses and go. Hear that? And go to verse 40, okay? Verse 40. And when they had, when they had called in the apostles, they'd, they'd set them outside while they talked. They called in the apostles. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then... They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Now look at the very first of verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Isn't that neat? What God was doing in his people there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you today. We thank you for brothers and sisters and friends who have gathered here. Uh, Lord, just uh, with a heart, with a desire to know you, to learn of you, to grow in your grace and understanding. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us this morning by your word, that you will challenge us, Father, to be the people you've called us to be. And, and then this truth of sharing Jesus will just flow out of our lives just overflowing of what you've done in our life that we just can't help ourselves that we have to tell people about the, your goodness and about Jesus Christ so thank you for loving us and it's in Christ's name I pray amen wow. as I looked at this text and I 
course, you, you know already I'm thinking about sharing Jesus, about us being a people who share Jesus. And a lot of times I think when we talk about that, it really kind of scares us, which it shouldn't. But some of the things I notice here about these folks in the text, just kind of under a heading that I've seen, these folks were fearless. Do you notice that? I mean, they, they really were. Uh, whatever they were told not to do, they basically did it concerning Jesus Christ. I know sometimes, uh, even in my own life, uh, I, I, I get butterflies in my stomach sometimes this morning about 8.15, right before I was getting preached, I was getting butterflies in my stomach. I still get those. But, you know, once I open my mouth, everything is fine. But I know there is the reality of a fear that we deal with, okay? But when you look at these folks, they were put in prison. They were beat. King James says they were flogged, which means 39 stripes with a whip that had bits of bone and bits of metal in it. In other words, their back was just laid open, okay? That's, that's what happened to these disciples. And really, that wasn't unusual for the early church. These early believers, they suffered for what they believed. You remember, John, uh, James is going to have his head cut off. Peter had been in prison the night before. It's just uh, Paul, if, if he came to your church to do a revival, he didn't have to get a hotel room. He just stayed in the jail. I mean, you know, they knew what persecution was. They understood that that was part of their life. So how in the world do you and I, we, we don't deal with that type of persecution really, uh, our persecution might be somebody look at us wrong or somebody might talk behind our back or something, okay? So how do you and I, and, and the type of hindrances that we deal with, how, how can we look at this text and say, now Lord, now Lord I, I want to see this and I don't want to just learn some historical facts about church growth. Lord, I want to be a person who understands what it means to be motivated and to be moved by the goodness of God in my life so that sharing Jesus is just like a cup that is overfilled and it just flows out of me the goodness of God. Okay? So let me just mention a few. Uh, this first one you really don't see here, but I, I want to mention it because our church is so good at discipling people. We really are. This is probably one of the best churches I've ever been a part in where people get together in small groups and get together, you know, Sunday nights and all for the purpose of Christian, uh, Christ-centered relationships and for the purpose of helping one another, encouraging one another. Uh, but surely, when we think of discipleship, one of the results of discipleship should be that we are instilling confidence in one another. We are helping one another over fear, overcome those fears that keep us from speaking about Jesus. Surely that should be a part of what we do. And if it's and, and I hope it is. I, I don't go to every group. I don't sit in on everything. Uh, I, I know the heart of this church. I'm so thankful for a church when they get together. The gospel is at the center of that. But surely that should be a part of that. But I, I say this about that too. We cannot hold up our hand and say, Well, Gary, you know, uh, I've never really been discipled. So, so I can't go out and talk about Jesus. Why? All, all I've been is, is saved. Oh my goodness, is that all? You know, all, all, all I've been is saved. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about some people in the, in the Gospels. And of course, I realized this is before the resurrection. But I thought about old Legion. You remember Legion? That guy, he had so many demons in him that he had to live out in the cemetery 
Because nobody wanted to be around them. Nobody wanted to be his neighbor. And they would try to chain him, and he would break the chains. But remember, when Jesus came to the shores of where he was, he went to Jesus, and he bowed, and he acknowledged and recognized that this man was the Son of God. Okay? And then Jesus cast those demons out of him. You remember this. And the demons said, Oh, don't let us just wander, but put us in that herd of pigs over there. So they... Jesus put them in that herd of pigs. They ran over the cliffs into the water. Then the townspeople came. This is what I'm getting to. The townspeople came, and they said to Jesus, Hey, get out of here. We, we don't want you around. Basically, they're saying, we're, we're fearful of you. So Jesus got in his boat, and as he got in his boat, listened to what he told this man named Legion in Mark chapter 5. And as he was getting into the boat, that's Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, excuse me, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Okay, now, if you would sometime go over to chapter 6, we're not going to read this, I'll just tell it to you, in verses 53 through 56, what you would find out, later Jesus came back to this place where all these people had said, hey, get away from us. Now, I don't know how long a time later, Jesus comes back, and the people are coming to Jesus and saying, we want you here. We want you here. We want you to tell us about this life. We want you to heal the sick. What was the difference? The difference was one guy who had did what Jesus said, go back and tell the people what I have done for you. And this old guy who nobody wanted for a neighbor, Legion, all of a sudden, he was proclaiming the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, a community over I don't know how long a time, all of a sudden, their ideas and attitudes was changed about Jesus. How much training did Legion have? Not a bit. He was just set free. And he just wanted to tell people about Jesus. We've been studying the Gospel of John. I'm not going to read these verses to you. You can look back and see them yourself. But there's a lady at the well. She's out there by herself at noon getting a bucket of water because everybody knew what kind of life she lived. And she didn't want to be around the ladies, so she would go out there at noon getting a bucket of water. But she met the living water that when you drink from it, you never thirst again. Remember Jesus? And Jesus said to her, I want you, uh, you know, he, he said, drink from me or you'll never thirst again. All of a sudden, the lady, I love this part, she left her bucket. What was she out there for? To get a bucket of water. She leaves her bucket. She runs into the community. And she says, could this be the Christ? He's told me everything about myself. And all of a sudden, it says the community is running out to this well, wanting to hear about Jesus. And then a few verses later, I think it's in verse 39, it says, and many believed because of this woman's testimony. Now let me ask us that question again. How much training had the woman at the well had? Zero. She had just met Jesus. That's the only qualification for any of us in this place who is a believer. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have heard the gospel. And you need to be a person who can share the gospel. So let me point out some things in our text. And, and one of them's not in our text, so bear with me. But I just can't go without mentioning this. And it's the grace of God. 
The grace of God is very evident in the lives of these men. See, I want us to understand, I say that because I want us to understand that the grace of God is not just at work within us when we are born again. We are saved by grace through faith. And a lot of folks think, well, okay, that's grace, I'm done. No, you're not done. Grace is a part of your life from until you get to glory. It's a part of your life being saved, justified. It is a part of the God working in you, sanctifying in you. It is a part of your glorification because you are going to be a, a display of the grace of God for all eternity. So the grace of God is always a part of your life. And it is a part of these men's life. It is a part of our life when we are individuals who share Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians 12, and again I won't read this, I'm probably driving you crazy, Teresa, but I, I, I won't read this one either because it's one you're familiar with. Uh, Paul had three thorns inside, remember? He prayed three times, God, please, please take these thorns from me. And God said, no, I'm not going to take those thorns from you. You've got them for a purpose. Finally, he came to the place where he understood Thorns were not nearly as important as the grace of God was. So then he said, man, when I am weak, then I'm strong. See, we need to understand that about grace. Grace brings humility in our lives. And we understand it's really when we are weak, when we understand we can't do this without God, then we begin to lean on God and the grace of God works within us, okay? So the grace of God. Let me point out a couple that's in our deal here now. I'll point out to you the Holy Spirit. Do you notice there in the Holy Spirit? Remember the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost, these men and women sitting up in a room, and man, they've been sitting up there and they've been praying and they've been waiting for the promise of the Spirit because God had promised them when Jesus ascended, he would descend. And man, they'd been in there praying. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God descends and, and fills those folks and flames are there. And, and man, all of a sudden, these guys who had been in this upper room all this time, they go out and they flood the streets and they proclaim the gospel and all those people and all those different languages. They hear the gospel and they understand the gospel in their own language and thousands of people are saved because the Spirit of God filled some willing people and then they became people who were sharing the Jesus Christ. Over in Acts chapter 4, it is the same with Peter. When he stands before the council, he says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then he proclaims to them the truth of the gospel. Paul, he wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God, over in Romans chapter 8, he made it very clear that if you are a child of God, you have the Spirit of God. And if you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not a child of God. So every one of us in this place, we who have been born again, dear friend, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The question is, are we being controlled by the Spirit of God? Are we being what the Scripture calls filled with the Holy Spirit? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are controlled by the Spirit of God. And that's what you see in the lives of the people of the early church. They knew what it meant to be controlled by the Spirit of God. They knew what it meant to know that they are weak and they had to trust the grace of God, trust that the Spirit of God would use them. Now, another thing I notice here in our text is God himself. Man, when, when I look at this text, I cannot help but believe these apostles, they knew who he was, and they knew he was in control. They knew he was sovereign. They understood what he was up to. Uh, there's a saying in a, in a class, share Jesus without fear. And the saying is, share Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results 
to God. And that's exactly what we need to learn. That man, when we understand who God is, we understand God is the one who saves. We understand He is the one who gives the increase. Because see, brothers and sisters, conversion, please get this, conversion is not a sign of successful witnessing. Or someone being saved, whatever word you prefer. Someone being saved is not a sign of a successful witness. A successful witness is witnessing. You get that? If you witness, if you share Jesus, regardless of what kind of response you get, you are successful in sharing Christ. Because you and I do not have the power to change the heart of one individual. So we trust God in our sharing. Look in our text here. I mentioned this was in our text. Four times in those four verses, there are seven verses, uh, it mentions God. In verse 29, it says we must obey God. Okay, and Peter mentioned that back in chapter 4 as well. We must obey God. Verse 30 says He is the God, our fathers, who raised Jesus. Verse 31 it says, God exalted him. And then in verse 32, it says, The Holy Spirit has been given by God to those who obey him. So these individuals, they had an understanding about God. They had an understanding about what he was up to. Now, do we have to understand everything about God? No, because we never will. And like I said, Legion and, and the woman at the well and some people I've known in my life, they had not grown in God that much. But as we grow, we come to an understanding of who God is, and that should be something that propels us into the harvest with confidence. Okay? If you're sitting here today, and you've been sitting here for 30 years, and you've grown in your understanding of God, it should have made a difference in you, and it should have made a difference in how you share the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, you know, these truths about God and about the Holy Spirit and about the grace of God, these truths sustained them even in this persecution that we're going through. Put in jail, threatened, threatened, excuse me, flogged. Uh, you know, and probably none of us, if any of us, will ever suffer persecution the way these guys did. We might have somebody talk behind our bike, or we might have someone roll their eyes at us, or we might have someone call us something we don't like. Wow, that's terrible persecution. But friend, that should not stop us if we understand these truths. Look at these guys. They were told not to teach, and they taught. They were beat and told to shut up, and they left that place rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, rejoicing is not a natural response to a flogging, okay? That's not a natural response. That is a spirit-filled, knowing who God is, in love and passionate about Jesus response to a flogging when it's done on his behalf. First Peter tells us about that. If you want to look at the screen there behind me. First Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. For what credit... For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure... But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, 
Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting. Here's the part we need to catch. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Dear brothers and sisters, what did I say about God? We need to understand who God is. And when, when we go through times of difficulty as a result of we are being faithful to God calling in our life instead of throwing in the towel and saying, woe is me, God doesn't love me, nobody cares anyway, yeah, 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 you know, all those things that we say. Hey, what we need to be doing is trusting God. We need to be entrusting ourselves to God, knowing that God can work in us and that God can work through us. Look up Hebrews 12, 2 and read it sometime. So how did Jesus... In, Endure the cross. How did he endure the pain? It says, because with joy, he looked beyond that. And dear friends, that's what we need to be able to do. We need to be able to look beyond the here and now when we're going through difficult times because of the life we live for Christ or speaking for Christ. We need to be able to look beyond that. We need to see God and we need to see his plans and his purpose and understand that he has called us to be faithful witnesses of his grace. It was so challenging to me Back when the pastor and David got back from, from their mission trip and they were telling us about uh, how when, how, you know, over there in North Africa, I get my mind going here, how in North Africa uh, a guy would be saved, a lady would be saved. You know what they would do? Remember what they did? They didn't say, okay, now go enroll in this class or go, go get in this class and do this. They were told, now go find someone and you share with them. Now, we're talking about a place where it could cost you your life. And they were told, now, now that you know Jesus, just go talk to someone about Jesus. Man, folks, we need to, we need to get a hold of what's going on in the lives of people like that. Well, let's look at what these folks did again. They had that encouragement. Over in verse 5, it basically says they went. They went in the temple, and they went house to house. Now, Probably when we think about the temple, we would think about this place. And I know we don't call this place a temple. And, and we know we don't have to come here to meet God. I understand all that stuff. I'm just saying, this is kind of what we would think of when we think of they went into the temple and taught. And I tell you what, I, I rejoice in, in this church. I, I rejoice in a place that we can go into. And we can know that the Bible is going to be preached. That it's going to be truth going to be truth with the bible it's not going to be what somebody thinks we know that we can go to classes we can go to small groups and we know that the gospel is going to be the center of what we are about i rejoice in that but i do want to say this we are deceived if we think just having good services and good ministries that the lost are just going to flood in those doors we're just deceived if we believe that that's why i was Statistics I read to you, 50% transfers and all that. Because there's a lot of churches, that's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the loss just to flood in. It's not going to happen. Now, I, I am thankful when God occasionally brings in some folks, and he does. He's, he's gracious. He brings in some folks who are lost. You invite folks who are lost, and, and they come in, and they hear pastor proclaim the gospel, and God works in their life and gives them life, and, and they're saved. And I tell you what, I love what, Paul said it's the foolishness of preaching that God saves. I like that. That always makes me feel better. But anyway, you know, and I'm thankful that God does that. He does that work through preaching. But folks, we're kidding ourselves if we think that's what it's all about. 
We need to be people who, when we go out those doors, we realize that we are on a mission field, and we have been called, just like these folks did. Next, it says, they went house to house. And I'll be real honest with you. I'm not advocating that we start a ministry that every Tuesday night we go house to house. I'm not advocating that. If you want to do that, I'll be more than happy to encourage you and be a part of that. But I'm not advocating that because I know a lot of you live really busy lives and so forth. And, uh, but, you know, I remember, I remember a time that we did. I remember a time that we covered the north side of this town. Some of you will remember candy canes and tracks. And we just went to every door. We knocked on the door, handed them candy cane, told them where we was from, Jesus loved them or something, whatever people told them. And then they left. Well, I remember, you remember these trailers down here, Bonnie? I remember when I think it was John Arrington and I, we went to these trailers one night, knocked on that trailer, and uh, boy, it's pretty noisy inside, and, and man, it was funny. This door just flings open, and here's this little lady, and she's two sheets, and you know, she's, she's been, she'd been partying. She'd been partying hardy, and, and everybody in that place had been partying hardy. And uh, so I, I said to her, and I, I think John Arrington was me, I handed her that track, and I said, you know, we're from Lincoln Avenue. We're just right across the field here. We just want you to know that Jesus loves you, and that's why he came. She took it. Y'all come on in. Y'all come on in. <laughs> no, we better not. You know, we got to get back. But uh, I, I wish I could remember her name. Maybe some of you can. She's a little short lady, and her husband was just a little bit taller, wore glasses. I just can't remember the name. But anyway, about two weeks later, lo and behold, they walked in that back door. And this church started loving on them and caring about them and sharing the gospel with them. About two more weeks or so, they professed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They were baptized. Last I heard, they went to Tulsa and was working in a homeless shelter, and I lost track of them. So see, God can use what he wants to use. That's what I'm trying to say to you. We just need to be faithful. And, and, you know, maybe we can't go house to house, but how about just your neighbors? How about when you're out at the soccer field? You know, how about when you're at work having lunch? You know, we just need to take the opportunities that God gives us to speak about the goodness of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We just need to take the opportunities that we have. And I'm speaking to children. I tell you what, children can be some of the best, best witnesses around. You know, I praise God. For the internet, I praise God for the Facebook and chat something. and I don't even know. If I can't use it, you know. Uh, I'm two thumbs. I, I can just push the little thumbs up on the I like, you know. And, but I'm not even good at it. My wife, she can go all over that thing. But I'm thankful for you folks that get on there, man, and you have a testimony or you share the gospel. Or, and I'm glad you do those things. And I don't discourage you in a bit to do those things. But I just want to say this to you. It takes a personal relationship. You've you got to someday meet with people and, and be with people and share your life with people and tell people about the goodness of Jesus Christ and what he means to you and what he has done. And, and you might say, well, gosh, Gary, that is, that is so old-fashioned. You're right. It's about 2,000 years old-fashioned, you know. But that's the way God has chosen to work many times in the lives of his people. We do not have to get thrown in jail and get beaten to be faithful witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Yes, it is old-fashioned. But God has called us to be witnesses. Not only around the world, but he has called us to be witnesses across the street and to our neighbors. See, folks, I guess 
these folks, they just had such a passion to share Jesus. You know, I thought back before the days of the Reformation. Did you know the Bible used to be chained to the altar? There was a Bible and it was chained to the altar. And the only one who could read the Bible was a priest. You guys heard of those days? I mean, people couldn't have the Bible for Tyndale. And some of those people, they, they translate the Bible for the common man. It was right there. It wouldn't leave. I just want to say that. I was thinking about that. And I think the church today, and not, not just our church, but the churches today, we have to be so careful that we don't chain Jesus Christ right there and just leave him right there and say, now you've got to come in here if you want to hear about Jesus. We've got to be so careful that we don't do that. Man, when they come in here, we want them to hear about Jesus. But we want them to hear about Jesus when we're outside. Look at the next thing it says they did. They did it without seizing I know it probably isn't feasible, like I said, to go house to house. But you know, I think the word for me, when I look at that without seizing, I think of the word intentional. We need to be intentional. We need to pray that God will give us opportunities to share. We need to be watching and looking for opportunities to share Christ. We just need to be intentional, okay? We need to tell ourselves, Lord, I'm going to be watching for opportunities today. Maybe some of you have had thoughts about relationships you've had for years and you've never shared Jesus. And today, the Spirit of God is telling you, calling you by name, saying, listen, you need to be intentional. You need to take a time this week and go see that individual. Have a good time with them, but you need to tell them about Jesus. You need to let them know that it's just not that you're a good old boy. It's that Jesus resides within you. That's why you're a good old boy. You know, I'm fortunate, I'll be honest, I'm fortunate that I get to share a lot in the Benevolence Committee. And, uh, you know, so I get to share the gospel a lot. Not everybody's saved. I wouldn't even come close to saying that. A whole lot more just goes over their head than what they hear. But, uh, you know, I have that opportunity. I'm thankful for that. But, you know, if I'm not intentional outside of these walls, I'm the same way. I'll just go through my whole day. I'll do the things I've got to do, and I'll, I'll even see people and stuff. But if I'm not thinking and looking and watching and saying, man, I want to share Christ today, I'll just miss opportunities. So I'm just saying that, man, I'm in the same boat with you folks. We need, we need to be intentional. Have you heard the story about three demons? By the way, this is not scriptural, but I want to tell it. So there's these three demons, and they were discussing how they were going to stop the, the work of the church, this Christianity stuff just getting out of hand. So these three demons are talking. This one says, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just tell them there's no hell. Let's tell them there's no eternal punishment. Now, today, there are people that believe that. It's not scriptural, but they believe it. And anyway, so let's tell them that. And the other demon said, ah, that won't work, man. They've heard too long that there is a hell, you know. And the second one says, I know. Let's tell them there is no eternal rewards. Let's tell them there's no heaven. And they thought about it for a few seconds and said, ah, nah. That'll never work. The third demon said, he's got it. I, I know what we need to tell him. Let's just tell him there's no hurry. There's just no hurry. Let's just go ahead and do what we want to do and just remember that there's no hurry. We'll have another chance. You know, I, I don't live my life by regrets. I guess uh, there's things I could if I wanted to. Probably every night I could lay my head on the pillow and think of things I didn't get done. But I don't, I don't live my life by regrets. But, but, you know, I do often think of a young man that he was a young, young adult when I was. And, and uh, I did some things with him that sure didn't honor the Lord. And 
and uh, it was it was a bad deal, and I was no kind of witness to him. And one day his phone rang, and it was a friend of mine, and he called this guy by name. He said, "Did you hear that he was killed in a car accident accident last night?" And and you know it was like the spirit of God just slapped me upside the head. Just don't get in any hurry. You have lots of time. Well, not always. You know, we don't always have a lot of time. We don't know. Why is this so important? And I know we could all say, we do not measure success by baptisms and buildings and budgets, and I'm so glad we don't, but we are stewards of the gospel. We could say, well, you know, God is sovereign, so don't sweat it. God is the one who saves. And, you know, I, I agree with that, unless you mean that we just sit back and wait. I think that's a real shallow view of the sovereignty of God. I think it's important. Let me show you some reasons in here why it's important. One is because we've been told to share Jesus. If you're a child of God, you have heard many times have you become united with Jesus Christ. And being a child of God means that we're just not a Christian. We are a follower of Jesus Christ. And part of following Jesus Christ is being obedient to him. And we have been told as his children that we are supposed to proclaim the goodness of God. So we've been told to. I, I think it's very important because, and it's not in our text, but it's just important to me, there is a heaven. There is a heaven where believers will spend eternity in the presence of God. And we will no longer live by faith, but we will live by sight. We will actually see this eternal inheritance. We will understand what it means that God has laid it up for us in heaven. There is a heaven. And dear friends, there is a hell. There is a place that God has prepared for the, de the demons and or the demons and the devil, and uh, it was prepared for them. But it is a place that everyone who does not believe Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it is a place that they will spend eternity. They will spend eternity where there is darkness and punishment and agony and pain, gnashing of teeth, where the warm dies not. It not. It is all eternity with all hope gone. There is in hell it's important because I believe the Bible clearly teaches that those who lost need to hear the gospel John 5 24 speaks to that and that's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures listen to what he says in verse 24 truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to heaven. Listen to uh, Romans 10, 14 through 17. What he says here. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And by the way, that could be proclaiming, that could be sharing Jesus. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So I believe it's very important that people hear the gospel. I believe it's important because there are those who distort the gospel. There are a lot of people outside these walls that they are preaching and teaching a false gospel. And people are putting their hope in a gospel that cannot save. That's why it's important. 
Paul would say that's not even a gospel. That's not good news. So those of us who have the good news, we should be proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? Well, we do it differently, don't we? Some of you might do it by sharing your testimony. You might get with someone and tell them what you were before Christ and how you came to know Christ and who Jesus is and the difference he's made in your life and just share that with them. Some of you might do it with a simple gospel track like down the road here and you don't have time to have a long discussion but you got a track. It's got the gospel in it. You take time and say, listen, man, I just care about you. Would you please read this and maybe we can talk about it someday. You know, there's a lot of different ways to share the gospel and we can all share the gospel. It's God's work. It's what he's called us to do. So in closing, we have to ask ourselves, what is the gospel? Well, we know the gospel means good news, don't we? Good news. And myself, I, I kind of feel like, just like this text we looked at, when we share the gospel and we have time to sit and visit with a person, we need to make much of God. We need to, in our voice and in our proclaiming the gospel, we need to make much of God. I, I know we will never fully understand God this time of heaven, and, and that shouldn't discourage us. You know, there's so much that we know about him. We know he's sovereign. We know he's holy. We know he's righteous. We know he's compassionate. We know he's gracious. He's patient. He's abundant in loving kindness. We know he's faithful. He's just. We know also he's just in his wrath. I mean, we could just open up this floor and we could all begin to say what we know about God. We, we know that he shows his grace and kindness to whomever he will. And, and you know, just think about God. He, he created us. He, he knows us, yet He loves us and He seeks us and He calls us and He saves us. He secures us. He satisfies us. I, I mean, man, we've got good news. We've got good news when we stop and we think about who God is and what He has accomplished. And four times in our little text there, when they're talking to the council, four times they mention God. See, they made much about God. You know why that is true? Because sharing Jesus is not about our glory. It is about God's glory. It is about helping people understand who God is. See, there's a lot of people, I'm afraid, today. They can tell you about Noah's Ark. Uh, they can tell you about uh, Isaac. They, they can tell you about Abraham and Moses. They can tell you all these Bible stories. But when you sit down, they can't tell you about God. See, somewhere we're messing up there. These are supposed to reveal God to us. We are supposed to see God in the workings of this. We need to know God. We need to make much of God. The second thing I would say is when we're sharing the gospel, after we exalt God, if we have time, we exalt Him, then we point out who we are. And if we really got a good picture of who God is, and then we begin to look at who we are, it's very humbling. It really is. And you know what? What did Peter and the apostles say? They say, you killed this man. You know what that says to me about man? Man is depraved. Man is unable to do anything to make himself acceptable to God. We try religion. We try good works. We try being better than someone else. We try doing more good than bad. I talked to a guy the other day that did this with me. He said, yeah, I'm just hoping the scales, you know, just the good outweighs the bad. 
And I said, friend, I'm sorry, but there's no scales in heaven. You know? But people have that idea. They need to understand that we as people, we are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. The wages of sin is death. And we need to understand death means separation. That's exactly what James said. He said a body apart from the spirit is dead. And when we are spiritually dead, we are separated from the giver of life. We are separated from God and we are separated by that sin. You know what else that tells me there when they said you killed? That tells me there is no sin that is too big for the forgiveness of God. Because in that same proclamation there, he offered them forgiveness. So you see, anyone sitting in here cannot say, well, my sins are too big. They're too dark. I don't even want to talk about them. That's okay. God knows about them. And God loves, He calls, He seeks you. And He expects you to respond to Him. So anyway, that's the problem of man. God decided to rescue us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. We know John 3, 16, don't we? He sent His Son, He gave His Son, so that all who believed on Him would not perish, but have eternal life, okay? So Jesus came. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death that we should have died right here in our text. Hung him on a tree. So here is Jesus who left the glory he had in heaven with the Father. Philippians 2. He took the form of a servant, which means a body of flesh. And you go through there and he says he did it for the express purpose of dying. And not only dying, but dying on a cross. This is the Jesus who came to rescue you, friend. You cannot stand before God with your sin. Only Jesus Christ can cleanse you and offer you forgiveness from sin. Only Jesus Christ is the way to the Father. Well, what else did these apostles say after they said they killed Jesus? They said, well, God raised him. Raised him from what? Death. Man placed him in a tomb. The third day later, Jesus Christ raised his resurrection, showing that his sacrifice was accepted, showing that he is the Son of God. Everything that was said about him is true. He has been raised for our justification. Is that the end of it, the resurrection? Not really. Here it says they, God exalted him at his right hand, saying his redemptive work is complete. You cannot add anything to what Jesus has done. He sits at a place of authority and of power. And one day, dear friend, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. If you are not a child of God, you better start giving some serious consideration to who Jesus Christ is and to whom you are. Because heaven is real and hell is real. And I guarantee you, every person sitting in this building today, you are going to spend eternity in one of those two places based upon your faith in Jesus Christ or your lack of faith in Jesus Christ. See, it is serious. It is serious, friends. And you and I should understand the seriousness of this. Well, Gary, if, if God has done all that, everybody's saved. No. No, they're not. I, I'm not even going to say I wish that was the way it is, but it's not. 
Everyone is not saved. Yeah, Jesus has done all that. God has done all that through Christ. But man has to respond to Jesus. How does he respond? Our text tells us again, repentance. Repentance meaning turning from sin, our whole being, turning from sin, forsaking sin, turning to Jesus Christ. Faith, trusting only in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Trusting in nothing else, not your church membership, not about your morality, nothing else. Trusting only in what Jesus Christ has done and who he is. Faith in him. Man, that is the gospel. And you may, you may be able to say it much better than I did. You may be able to clarify it better than I did. But that's not the issue. The issue is that people hear it and that God uses it. That's the issue. The question is, are they hearing it outside these four walls? Are people hearing the truth of Christ? Are we so passionate about Jesus that we want to live our lives for him? And we're not going to let stuff stop us. We're not going to let what somebody said behind our back. We're not going to let somebody didn't shake our hand. We're not going to let somebody roll their eyes at me when I was speaking. And I didn't see anybody do that, by the way. You know, except Bonnie, she kept going. No. <laughs> you know, none of that, okay? I'm just saying, man, come on, let's, let's man up. Let, let's be the people that God has called us to be. Let's not let little things stop us from serving our Lord. Let's say, you know what? The gospel is more important than any of that. And we can do it together better than we can do it alone. So yeah, I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ because we have a message to proclaim. And I want you, you and you and you, all of you encouraging me, share the gospel, share the gospel. And I want you to be encouraging one another. Let's share the gospel. Did you share the gospel? How did it go? Did you get scared? What did you say? Let's do that with each other. Let's be a people who's encouraging each other. Man, if we've been saved, we need know nothing else. I'm going to close with reading two more sections of verses, and then I'll close, okay? And they're short verses, and you probably know most of them. Romans 10, 9, and 10 is one of them. <clears throat> because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now listen to 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now let me read just a little section here out of the book of John to you. John 6, just about four verses here. You know, we just went through, the, or through part of the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights, and this is just the part I love. This is Jesus speaking. All, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. Now listen, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son 
and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. What more, what more, what greater message do we need to share? Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. You know, I said I'm going to close with those readings, but I got one paragraph I got to read to you. I'm sorry. You know how you know how preachers are. I'll say in closing, and then, but this is a short paragraph. Listen, this is from Spurgeon, and and I just, I'm I'm a Spurgeon guy. I like to read Spurgeon. This is from uh, one of his writings about the farmer and the latter rain. I hope this doesn't apply to any of us. But we are so gentle and quiet. We do not use strong language about other people's opinions, but we let them go to hell out of charity to them, or love, we would say love, out of love to them. We are not all fanatical. We would not wish to save any, any sinner who does not particularly wish to be saved. Neither would we thrust our opinions upon them, though we know they are being lost for lack of the knowledge of Christ crucified. That, that may be the most important sentence to me in there. Though we know that we don't thrust our opinions upon them, though we know they are being lost for lack of the knowledge of Christ crucified. Do not drivel away your existence upon baser ends, but count the glory of Christ to be the only object worthy of your manhood strength, the spread of the truth, the only pursuit worthy of your mental powers. Spend and be spent in your master's service. This proclamation involves confronting sinners with their sin. It involves exalting Jesus Christ. It involves offering repentance and forgiveness to the worst of sinners. It should be bold and it should be persistent. You know, I know he's an old guy gone a long time. But you know, he was he was very reformed in his faith. But he sure knew he sure understood a responsibility of man. That we have a responsibility to share Jesus. <coughs> we have all we need to. We have God on our side. Man. God on our side. We have God on our side. We have the grace of God at work within us. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, empowering us. We have the Word. We have everything we need. And I just want to encourage you today to just stop and consider your personal life of sharing Jesus. Do you or don't you? If you don't, I just want to say, hey, come on, guys. Let's, let's just... Let's just get back on the horse and let's do it. You know, let's, let's just start being the people God has called us to be. Let's start sharing Jesus by ourselves and together. Let's just do it. And if you are someone who's sharing Jesus, I want to say, great, great, great. Let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. I had a lady one time stand up in one of my services in Colorado, and I preached a message, something about along this line. And she was just bawling. I don't mean weeping. She was bawling. And Carol would remember this because it, it was something you remember. I mean, she was just, she was just, she was bawling. <laughs> and I went to her and I walked back to her and stood beside her. I said, what's going on? I called her by the name. I said, what's going on? She said, you know, for years I have lived in guilt because I've never led anybody to Christ. She said, I've, I've shared Jesus with people and I've been faithful sharing with my children, but I've never had... Anyone pray the prayer with me? 
And she said, I just realized tonight that I'm not responsible for people's response to the gospel. I'm just responsible to be faithful. That's all I'm saying to you folks that are believers. We're not responsible for the results. But we are responsible to share Christ. And I hope you'll be encouraged too. If you're not a child of God, I, I would hope that you would hear the truth in this message today that, for you. That there is a place of separation for you if you don't trust Christ. And he loves you so very much, he sent his son to die in your place. That through trusting in him, you could have eternal life. And I'd love to visit with you about that. Okay, You can come as we sing. Bonnie's going to lead us in just a few stanzas. We're not going to sing along. We don't have long invitations unless people are coming. But I'll just encourage you today. It might be right where you stand, believer, that you bow your head and say, you know what? Gary's right. I need to, I need to start sharing Christ. I need to start being the person God has called me to be. You might be an unbeliever. He says, I will no more. You come. Let me share with you. But let's sing, Bonnie. I'll just...